0: We are so grateful uh to have this time to share with you guys, and uh moreover grateful to give my brother uh our dear pastor the opportunity to step away and en- enjoy his bride um, He has uh, expressed his his appreciation, knowing that uh they can step away and and when need when they need to step away and know that the uh church won 't burn down while they're away, amen, and we are so grateful uh, to them, and we want them to have that time of respite, uh, certainly in celebration of uh, their sixteenth year wedding anniversary. We are back in the book of Acts, continuing uh, in our journey unstoppable, the beginning of christ's church, and we'll share from the latter half of next Acts, not next, Acts 19 this morning, uh, from the thought lessons for living life on Mission. At almost any store or restaurant you go to these days, you will see on their receipt or maybe even post it somewhere on the store in the store, you'll have an invitation to go and complete a survey. Typical survey may have questions, um, like how was your service or how was the food if you're at a restaurant or if you're in a store, they may ask questions like, what do you think of our selection or what do you think of our prices versus our competitors? Both may ask you about how often you visit that particular location and uh, both will typically ask you if you would recommend them to a friend or family member in the area these surveys are a a performance check. The businesses are, are seeking to answer the question, how well are we doing business? How are we doing in our mission? Are we making an impact and do people see value in what we have to offer Now, Christ doesn't offer us a performance-based salvation, but we still tend to have these mental and emotional checklists that ask the same type of questions. Where do we stand? How are we doing in our life with Christ, and how are we doing living life on mission for God? I want to be sure that we are cautioned in in, in the why of our questions because uh, um, in our checklist, we want to make sure that we're, we're not looking to earn salvation through works. For the work that we're looking at, the salvation, the work that we're questioning, that we're trying to find validation for was accomplished through Christ on the cross. But I don't think there's inherently anything wrong with having a checklist. Scripture calls for us in in a, a, a few places in Scripture to examine ourselves. One of those particular places is in 1 Corinthians 11 as he says, Let a person examine himself and so eat and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there is a call to examine and to judge, to weigh and to think soberly about our life and our activity and about our faith. And certainly there is a a work and a mission that we are called to as believers. In Paul's second letter to the church at uh, at Corinth, we find these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It says, if anyone be in Christ. There's no distinction here of of male or or female. There's no distinction here uh, of those who are called to pastoral or preaching ministry and, and those who are not. But it says if anyone is in Christ, everyone in Christ has been given the ministry of reconciliation, has been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, Everyone has been called to be ambassadors and everyone is charged to cry out on behalf of Christ to all who will listen, be reconciled to God. So being that everyone has this mission, everyone has this ministry, what does it look like to fulfill this ministry? In 2 Timothy, we find these words. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul gives Timothy a charge to preach the word. He gives Timothy a charge to fulfill his ministry. And Paul gives us a picture of what that looks like in the next few verses as he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. He says, I have fought the good fight of faith, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. It's not enough to simply start the mission. We have to finish. Recall the parable of the sower. He says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the carols of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Those who start and don't finish are unfruitful. They don't fulfill their ministry. Those who don't endure trials, and scripture certainly tells us that we'll have them, Those who care more for the world than they do for the word don't finish and are unfruitful. They don't fulfill their ministry. To be fruitful, we must fulfill our ministry. And to fulfill our ministry like Paul, we must finish the mission. So how do we do that? How do we start, endure, and finish? How do we live fruitful lives on mission for God? And to answer these questions, we'll look to our text this morning. And as we look to our text, we'll survey the experiences that Paul had there. And hopefully we'll get a glimpse of these four lessons for living life on mission. Look with me at verse 21 and 22. He says, now after these things, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying... After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. Paul is looking to looking to make his way to Jerusalem and takes the, the the most scenic and long way around. To leave Ephesus where he is and to pass through Macedonia and Achaia on his way to Jerusalem, he'd literally have to go in the opposite direction of Jerusalem. Because where he is in Ephesus, Macedonia is northwest of where he is, and Jerusalem will be southeast of where he is. But Paul is very intentional. In his travel plans to to us, at least to me looking at it, because I pulled up a map and I looked at it and I'm like, why would he go? Especially to go to Macedonia from Ephesus back to Jerusalem and then to go back to Rome. He says, I must see also Rome after that. Rome is on the other side of Macedonia and Achaia. But the first lesson of living life on mission is life on mission is intentional. Paul was intentional in his travel plans. And I love the words here in verse 21 as it says, Paul resolved as he looks to go through Macedonia and Achaia and then following this to his trip, following this with his trip to Jerusalem, he says, he says I must also see Rome. And so we have the word resolved and we have the word must. These words show in intent. It's not just a, oh, if I just happen to be in the area, I'll check in. Paul is purposefully planning his course, purposefully setting his plans. And not only was he intentional in where he was going, he was intentional in why he was going. Paul was intentional in in sharing the gospel and encouraging the saints. Hear these words in Romans and in Corinthians, Romans 1 and 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel. To you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then in 1 Corinthians 16, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. Paul was intentional in sharing the gospel he was intentional in sharing with different people. He said Jew and Greek barbarian. And he was, he was, intention, he was intentional in sharing it regardless of whether the conditions were favorable or unfavorable. Hear these words in the next chapter of Acts chapter 20. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, listen, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if I may only finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was also intentional in seeking the aid and welfare of the saints in Jerusalem. He says this in Romans 15, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem and bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for a poor, for the poor among the saints, for they are pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it for to them, owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to share in the, um, or they ought also be, to be of service to them in material blessings. So are we hearing this? Paul has set his face to move forward, to finish the course, to finish the ministry that he received from God, knowing that in every city the Spirit testifies. This is not just Paul thinking or or, or him even going by past experience thinking, man, this is going to be tough. No, he says the spirit testifies that imprisonment and afflictions await him. And not only is he still committed to going, but goes out of his way to gather benevolence for the poor, of the saints, so that when he does come to Jerusalem, he comes blessing. Do we have this presence of mind? And of mission. Can we commit to shouldering the burdens of momentary afflictions? And that's what Scripture calls them momentary afflictions. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Beyond all comparison. Saying that the things that we experience here are transit. But what awaits us is eternal. Can we shoulder the burden of momentary afflictions to be ambassadors? Or are we too comfortable to labor for the comfort of those that Christ has called us to? Look with me at the next several verses in Acts 19. He says, And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, "Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here, not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, oh, to have that testimony, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come to nothing, excuse me, may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So Paul makes his decision to stay in Ephesus after sending Timothy and Erastus into Macedonia, verse 22, saying of himself, he, Paul, stayed in Asia. The next words that you hear is about that time there arose no little disturbance. And no little disturbance is a a huge understatement. This is all-out mob mentality. Commentary suggests that the crowd numbered around 24 or 25,000 people. And what caused this disturbance? Scripture says that the disturbance arose concerning the way. Paul is doing gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting Christ, uh, or or rather spirit-empowered ministry, and it impacted the local economy and caused a huge uproar. So lesson number two is life on mission should have impact. But Paul's impact on the local economy was secondary The primary impact was on the hearts of those who heard and responded to the gospel. That's why people aren't coming and and buying Demetrius' shrines or idols anymore. But what is primary for Paul is secondary for Demetrius. You hear Demetrius saying as he's, responsible for the mob again in verse 26 as he speaks to his fellow craftsmen you see and hear that not only is not only in ephesus but in almost all of asia paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people paul is doing the work of an evangelist he's making full proof of his ministry he's crying out as an ambassador on behalf of christ be reconciled to god and people are responding They're turning away from the worship of idols and turning to the true and living God. That's the primary thing. But Demetrius' concern was not for the worship. His concern was for his trade, his wealth. The more Paul preaches and the more lives are impacted by the gospel, the fewer customers he has. It was pure economics for him. We see a similar reaction, actually, if you recall, we go back to Acts 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought uh, her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Paul turns around and commands the evil spirit to come out of her. And in that same hour, Scripture says that it did. And her owners were not pleased. Scripture says when they saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. The owners, much like Demetrius, didn't take issue with Paul preaching until the lives uh, around them began to be impacted by the gospel because that's when their money began to be affected. Has anybody taken notice of your life on mission? What impact are you making? And if we're not making impact, if we look around us, maybe you're not causing riots, but certainly there should be some impact. And if we're not, we really got to ask ourselves, are we living life on mission for God? Coming back to the crazy mob, Scripture says that the city was filled with confusion. That they rushed together into this theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, some think that it was actually Paul, or scholars speculate that it was actually Paul that they were wanting to get their hands on, but since they weren't able to get their hands on him, that some of his companions would have to do. And Paul actually wants into this place. Scripture says that Paul tries to get in. He hears, he sees rather this crowd gathered And, and commentary, speculate that he wants to get in because he can't. Uh, I'll pass on the opportunity to preach the gospel to 25,000 people. Scripture tells us that two different groups are holding him up. You have a group of people who are only referenced as disciples, and then you have this group called the Asiarchs. Scripture notes that some of them are uh, friends of Paul, and all, both the disciples and the Asiarchs, are urging him not to go into the theater. And this gives us our third lesson. Life on mission is communal. Paul had friends. Paul had community. He had community in the family of God and the local churches that he either helped uh, plan or at least uh, certainly served and encouraged them. As many of his journeys, he set out with the intention to go back and to visit the places that they had, that they had been to to encourage the brothers that were there. He had community in the brothers that labored with him on these various journeys. He had communities in the brothers uh, that he was pouring his life into like Timothy. Paul had community that was outside of the household of faith. Here we have a few of them, uh, these, these, these friends of this group called the Asiarchs. Asiarchs were men of wealth and considered to be among the most prominent men in the province it was an official title. They served in one year terms but could be reelected, and they carried that title for life, kind of like we call everybody president, so and so, as long as they live. They promoted Roman interests and usually presided over various games or religious festivals. But even among this group, Paul had community. We struggle with community. Even sometimes in our most intimate of relationships like marriage, we can have a hard time being communal, being open, establishing bonds, open communication. But these are the types of relationships that we're called to. Hear the words in Romans and John. Romans 12 and 5 says, So so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of another. John 13 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are to also love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17:11. as Jesus prays to the Father concerning those who will be left behind and those who would come after, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Community is a mark of discipleship. Community is the answer to Jesus' prayer. How can we expect to live life on mission apart from community? Community. Paul concedes to the warning of his friends and steers clear of the danger, and the next voice we hear is that of the town clerk. Look with me at the final verses of this passage. He says, And when the town clerk heard, had quieted, rather, the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here for, who are neither sacrilegious, sacrilegious, mercy. I'm not saying that right, am I? Sacrilegious. Amen. Nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with them have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, let it be settled in the regular assembly, for we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Despite finding himself the, 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 the subject of mo- much contention and sparking riotous mob-like behavior, Paul is found blameless. Town clerk saying that there's no cause to justify the behavior of the crowd. So Our final and fourth lesson for living life on mission is life on mission avoids unnecessary offense. I want us to hear the words unnecessary offense. And the concept is simple. The gospel tells us, we know already that the gospel to unbelievers can be an offense. It's 1 Peter 2 and 8. But when we offend, we only want to offend in gospel only. Does that make sense? When we offend... We want to make sure we offend in gospel only. And what do we mean by that? If they wrestle, let them wrestle with God. Amen? Give people Christ crucified and let them wrestle with the Spirit. We don't want to make them wrestle with us our biases, our attitudes, our preferences, our denomination, our politics, our music. We don't want to wrestle. We we don't want to make them wrestle with us. Life on mission avoids unnecessary offense. Scripture says it like this in 1 Corinthians. Paul says to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by any means, or that by all means, I might save some. The goal is always reconciliation. Amen. As you go out, as you witness, as you give the gospel, the goal should always be reconciliation. This is what Christ gave us, the ministry and message of reconciliation. And one final text I'll share with you guys as we close. This is Romans 12. It's the longest verses that we'll read but it it really sums up the attitude that we should carry looking to offend only in the gospel let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the lord Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. So what does application of these lessons look like? Life Life on mission is intentional. Intentional implies just do it. Amen? There's no magic formula to that one. The first, and the first part of that uh, is the part that many of us have the biggest problem with, and that's in sharing the gospel with unbelievers. But I promise you, and I've done it, if you open your mouth, God will fill it. You don't have to struggle with, I don't know what to say, I don't want to say the wrong thing. If you open your mouth, God will fill it. Amen? So pray, prepare, participate. We want to pray intentionally that God would lead us to the lost. That's the mission of the church. Amen? We want to prepare for the moment. Missional. Studying your word. Habits of grace. Prayer. And again, for those who who really say, after all that, I still need something else. Again, I want to point you to the three circles. If you Google three circles life conversations, you'll get really a three-step blueprint for sharing your faith. Very simple. When God brings you to that moment, participate. Jump in and watch God work. Be the witnesses that God called you to be. Second part is much easier. Paul regularly journeyed to encourage other believers. Are you active City Light Church in your missional community? Paul intentionally went. Many times we see throughout Acts that he left particularly to go to a church to fellowship and encourage other believers. In our missional communities, these are the places that you go to be known and to know, to be encouraged and to encourage. So Pick up the phone. You know the people in your mission. If you don't have their numbers, the next time you go, get them. Pick up the phone. Grab lunch. Send a text. Pray with. Pray for. Amen. Life on mission has an impact. Self-explanatory. But if we're not intentionally engaging, we know we won't have any impact. Amen. And you need to see lesson number one. Be intentional. Life on mission is community. Stop number one is your missional community. Once you've identified these people, share your life. Everything doesn't have to be book, chapter, verse. When we meet, we don't have to always have a Bible study in church. It's okay to just talk about pets and games and kids, even if it's Dungeons and Dragons. Amen. Let us pray. But again, community is important because it testifies both to the believer and the unbeliever. And last but not least, life on mission avoids unnecessary offense. Offend and gospel only. Speak the truth in love. The Bible calls the tongue a fire. And we should never intentionally look to burn anybody. Always look for opportunities to do good and to bless and not curse and if we do these things in faith and on mission for God, we can share in Paul's testimony, and this will be our final word. And again, this is Paul's words in Timothy. He says, "I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith." Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. May this be our testimony. Amen. Let us pray.